Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Today we're going to be discussing a very confusing issue. This comes up a lot in our practice. It's come up a lot in the last week or two. So we've decided to dedicate this edition of the Candida Chronicles on this subject. We're going to talk about the influence of hormones on Candida. So the first thing to know is that there is something to know about this subject. And it's important to to know about this subject because hormones are volatile substances and hormones can make or break your your particular candida condition. If your hormones are significantly out of balance, you won't recover from candida. There's a similar cycle that occurs with candida and toxic metals, like specifically candida and mercury, which was something we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast. But specifically, there is a cycle that occurs with candida and hormones, which is something that uh, is important to know because unless you know about it, you can't know how to correct it, and therefore you'd be kind of stuck with this condition. The first hormone that we're going to take up in regards to candida is cortisol. Cortisol has been given a lot of attention in the health field, because as a hormone, it's known to cause inflammation in the body, although its, it's a primary action is as an anti-inflammatory hormone. Unfortunately, cortisol can have the opposite effect and actually cause inflammation when cortisol elevates too high. Cortisol also increases the amount of, of uh, glucose that you find in the blood vessels, particularly in the small blood vessels. So this is a problem because increased glucose means that you're feeding the candida. Cortisol also depresses the immune response in the body. I don't think it's been cataloged yet exactly how many different immune responses it suppresses, but we definitely know that it suppresses the majority of the immune system, which is why cortisone-like drugs are given to people who have autoimmune conditions. It's to suppress the hyperactivity of the immune system. Well, in a a normal case, a person who doesn't necessarily have a medical condition like that, if their body produces excess cortisol, it certainly, certainly depresses their normal immune function. And this is something, of course, that's bad. Cortisol is an interesting hormone, could be next to estrogen, 
the most interesting of all the hormones because it seems from an empirical observation that the mere presence of cortisol in the body can elevate candida levels and vice versa. And that's the, an interesting point or a facet to it right there. Having candida seems to more elevate a person's cortisol level. So when you get a growth of candida, an overgrowth, it's common that you then will start to see an overgrowth of candida following this. And when you have an overgrowth of candida, you then start to see an overgrowth of cortisol following the candida. Um, candida is an, anti is an inflammatory organism. We know that candida produces a whole set of different toxins, alcohol-related toxins, uh, neurological toxins, yeast and fungal-related toxins. So in the body's uh, trying to compensate or resist and fight off these toxins, cortisol is produced. And cortisol, unfortunately, then makes the situation worse because of its depressing effect on the immune system and its effect of increasing blood glucose in the areas where the candida will typically live. Cortisol has sometimes been referred to as a slow-acting adrenaline. And that very is very true. That definitely sit, suits its um, operation. But nonetheless, having elevated cortisol is going to aggravate the candida. What's also very interesting that I found is that there are many people with candida who have certain candida symptoms that worsen in the middle of the night. And there is a type of cortisol case where the cortisol is low during the day and then all of a sudden it peaks in the middle of the night, wakes the person up, person can't go back to sleep. And at that point they have, an, they have an, a, a peak or an exacerbation of their candida symptoms. So you would most likely find that whenever cortisol is at its highest, you'll find that that's when candida symptoms will probably be at their worst. A testing for cortisol is uh, a simple thing. What you would do if you want to test for any of these hormones that we're going to discuss today is make sure you're doing a test which would be referred to as a circadian rhythm test. This is where you take a sample of saliva or urine or blood or whatever the testing medium is going to be four to six times throughout the day. The reason for doing this is you want to see how your hormones change or evolve over a 24-hour period. This way you see what they're really doing and what they're really up to. Because sometimes you can have symptoms of high cortisol, and yet when you go to the doctor's office and he does a blood test to check your cortisol, your cortisol will be normal. And that's because it was normal at the time he took the test. But six or eight hours later, the level may have changed. It, may have, it might have shot up. And of course, it's not going to be available to be seen on his test because his test was taken in the morning. It wasn't taken later in the day at the time that the cortisol level elevated as it did. And here's a, this is a, a confusing point in general when you're dealing with cortisol or any hormone is following its level to see if it's where it should be at the time of the day that you test. 
uh, hormones change throughout the day. They're supposed to change throughout the day. They're not always supposed to be at the same level. A morning level of some hormones is expected to be different than the nighttime level of that same hormone. So the two options that you have for testing these things in order to make sense out of it is to make sure the type of test that you do is a circadian rhythm test, which is where you're um, checking the level every few hours by submitting a sample. So you'll submit a total of four to six samples in one day, and then you'll look at them and you can clock them to see what their levels are at the different times of the day and to see if, it's, if the hormone is in the right range for that time of the day. The other way this can be done, where you would not necessarily, we wouldn't necessarily call this a circadian test, uh, but it would be a type of a urine test where they're checking the hormone level in your urine, and you're usually collecting the first morning urine from an overnight sleep. This first morning urine is going to have the total uh, metabolites and the total amount of different fractions of the hormone which are being collected in your urine than which you urinate out. And those totals will still give a good idea of what the absolute levels are of that hormone for the day. I would say that in doing that type of test, you are trading a bit of the accuracy off from looking at it from the circadian viewpoint. Uh, but on the other hand, in this, this type of testing that I'm talking about now, they can also look at different levels of the hormones and different forms of the hormones, which are not looked at in the standard saliva hormone test, which can give you a lot of information that would be absent. So both tests have their advantage. I think in order to determine which test you want to do, you have to really know the patient and know the patient's history and symptoms, and the doctor has to determine which test is going to be best for the patient. So moving along, the next hormone we're going to discuss today is estrogen. Now, estrogen has been the subject of a few of these podcasts, particularly the one that was on pregnancy and candida. And the key with estrogen is that elevations in estrogen aggravate candida. Elevations in estrogen worsen candida for several reasons. The one reason is because estrogen also increases the sugar levels found in the mucous membranes. It's been rumored that cortisol does the same. I think this is something that, that could be researched to differentiate, differentiate out which is really true. The effects of cortisol and estrogen are similar in that they both raise sugar levels in the pelvic area. I'll say that as a generality. Then from that point, we need to then break down more accurately what the truth is with each hormone. But to my knowledge, and I could be corrected on this, uh, estrogen does increase the glucose in the mucus and the mucous membranes in the vaginal area and generally in the pelvic region. So this would mean that when estrogen rises, the sugar in those areas rise, and this is the becomes then the perfect food or spike for the candida because then the candida will kick in. Estrogen should normally be counterposed by progesterone. When estrogen and progesterone are in a right balance, neither one of them gets out of hand or neither one of them becomes too influential. Excess of progesterone can have the same effect 
that excessive estrogen can have on candida because the excessive progesterone will be converted to estrogen. The other interesting aspect of estrogen is the growth factor that it possesses. We know that estrogen rises during pregnancy because it's there to stimulate the growth of the fetus. We know that estrogen can stimulate the growth of different cancers, reproductive cancers. We know that estrogen stimulates the growth of fibroids and other types of, let's say, benign growths. And we know that based on the same logic, estrogen also stimulates the growth of candida. So this makes estrogen one of the key suspects when we're looking at candida growth. We want to make sure that the estrogen is under control and balanced by progesterone. The general rule of thumb is uh, we need to have a correct balance. Having too much isn't better. Having too little isn't better. It needs to be the correct amount. An interesting thing I observed many years ago was that in looking at different birth control pills, they, had, they would contain warnings. Um, some birth control pills would say that they could possibly aggravate a yeast infection. And on the other hand, I observed medical doctors in those days were giving their patients birth control pills who had chronic yeast infections to see if the birth control pill will, would help or eliminate the chronic yeast infection. And in some cases, it did work. So at that point, I learned, I learned two things. I learned that too much estrogen would aggravate a yeast infection. And I also learned that too little estrogen could be involved with causing a chronic yeast infection. How I saw that too little would cause was because when some people took certain uh, over-the-counter, I'm sorry, not over-the-counter, but uh, took certain prescribed birth control pills, their yeast infections would improve, indicating that there was a deficiency of estrogen there that was involved in the chronic nature of their yeast problem. Now, we do know that when the mucous membranes, particularly in a woman, are deprived of estrogen, they become kind of dry and they get easily irritated. It could be that the lack of lubrication and the lack of mucus in those areas would also align with a lack of um, antibodies that are being produced in the mucus that would represent the normal immune response in those tissues. So this is something to consider. More than likely, you will find that it will be an excess of estrogen that's going to be involved in the yeast problem. An interesting thing to do is to have your patients chart or graph where during the months they feel most of their symptoms. Now, if the, if the person suffers from vaginal yeast, this is easy because they can just look throughout the month and they can in indicate on a calendar what days typically their vaginal yeast infections are worse. There, there will be one group of women that you'll have which will, will typically respond that their yeast infections are worse when they're more premenstrual. If you look at the cycle of hormones, if you look this up online, you'll see dif different charts that exist. When you're premenstrual, this is a point where estrogen starts to rise so it would make sense that your yeast infections would be worse at that point. 
that normally after the menstrual cycle is where yeast infections tend to get better. And that's when the estrogen is definitely on the downside and progesterone is taken over for a while. But this can be different person to person. The example I just posed here to you is a very typical one. It doesn't mean that's what you're going to find. You could find something that's the complete opposite. It'd be, it's up to the doctor to look at where the person's yeast infections are getting worse, at what part in their cycle they're getting worse, and then to understand what the hormonal influence is at that exact time. Uh, this is also where doing these hormone tests come in handy, because if you have uh, a person who predictably says, well, my yeast infections and my candida symptoms are worse when I'm PMS, then you have them take the type of hormone test where they're taking multiple samples throughout the month. This now becomes different than the circadian type of test. Because at this point, you're trying to, you're trying to recognize where in the month does the estrogen come up as opposed to what hour in the day does it come up or go down. And most of the time, from my experience, when you do this type of test on this patient, you're going to find that where their hormone or where their symptoms are getting worse, where they're saying their symptoms get worse or their vaginal infections are the worst during the month, you will almost always find on their hormone test that is indeed where their estrogen levels are peaking. So at that point, you then need to, for whatever, using whatever means you're going to do, you then want to balance that hormone response. Now, this, this brings up a question I hear a lot from people. They'll ask me, what is it you'll do when you get the results of the hormone test? Well, of course, that depends on what the test says. And essentially, you have different possible conditions and options. You can have situations where the person's hormone levels are too low. If the levels are too low, you have options in trying to elevate them. You can try to give herbal or nutritional formulas to try to stimulate the body to make the hormone again. If the person is older, they, those types of products may not work any longer on them. And at that point, you may need to use more of a, an HRT, which is a hormone replacement therapy. This is where you would use bioidentical hormones to increase the person's hormone level that's low, using it as a supplement. When you're doing this, you need to be careful that you use transdermal creams only in the candida patient. One of the worst things you can do is treat a candida patient when, with some type of hormone preparation that they take orally because this releases the hormone directly into the intestinal tract where the candida lives. Bad idea. And using the transdermal cream as the hormone supplement, you're allowing the hormone substance to gradually and slowly absorb through the skin and enter the bloodstream, and you're therefore bypassing, for the most part, the introduction of the hormone as a flooding cascade, so to speak, right into the intestinal tract because you don't want to give your candida cells a bath in the hormones. So we also, at this point, have to look 
does the person have any hormones that are too high? If the person has hormones that are too high, uh, an option is to then give them substances that help the body metabolize those hormones better in, in the hope that the hormones will lower. Because this many times is the case. The person doesn't detoxify that well. Their liver doesn't break the hormones down and the hormones are left circulating. And someone who has good liver detoxification, you don't see this, and their hormones are not left elevated for longer periods of time because they're not being broken down by the liver. So then, then we have the option here of giving the person something that helps them break the hormones down. And that's an important thing because, as I said, you can have elevated hormones because of the first issue where the person's glandular system is overstimulated and producing too much hormone, but then you very often find a person has elevated hormones because they're not methylating and breaking those hormones down very well. The other process in the body that helps break down the hormones is thyroid function. The thyroid gland produces hormones which stimulate the liver to detoxify things. And among those things would also be hormones. So if a person has low thyroid function, this will tend to aggravate the hormones. So now we, let's come to DHEA. Generally speaking, for the most part, a normal level of DHEA would help the person remain healthy in their immune system and their general functions, and it would help them resist candida. However, if a person had excessive levels of DHEA, that DHEA could be changed or converted into the body into estrogen, and this could then aggravate the candida levels. So this would be bad. There are very few references that I've found on testosterone aggravating candida. Um, most, of this, most of the references that I have found online that deal with testosterone or androstenedione or any of that group indicate that the person who has candida will usually develop low testosterone or some people have also speculated that if your testosterone is low, you might be more prone to developing candida. Well, I certainly have seen that if your testosterone is low, you'll be prone to developing candida. And I've also seen candida will definitely lower testosterone in men. This is the mechanism by which you read one of the candida symptoms uh, being a poor libido for the man. And of def definite problems along that way. Just simply the candida is wearing down the hormonal system. Uh, you could theorize that the presence of candida as a stress on the system is elevating cortisol, and then the elevation in cortisol perhaps drops the testosterone level. It's also possible that the elevation or the presence of candida causes an elevation in estrogen, and then estrogen may be the thing that's blocking the cortisol. Both, both estrogen and cortisol would have that same effect on testosterone. They would also have that same effect on thyroid hormones. So you see, here's where we now enter the menagerie of the hormones in candida. 
This is where it's good to start graphing this or making diagrams with circular wheels, so to speak, to sort of have more of a reality of, the, of the, what's ha actually happening, something visual or some mass to see. Because you, can, you have a, as I said, literally, it's a, it's a menagerie. You have cortisol elevating. The elevation of cortisol can drop the testosterone. Testosterone drops. That can allow a person to become more estrogen dominated if it's a man. If it's a woman, it certainly allows the uh, candida's presence to be enhanced by cortisol. And if the cortisol is now going to block thyroid hormones, you're going to now be absent that kick in your detoxification step where your thyroid gland breaks down excess estrogens. So now we have more estrogens circulating because they're not being broken down. And this, again, enhances the survival ability and the presence of the candida you have. So it's become a vicious cycle. The way to break the cycle is really to intervene at any given point, whether you're intervening with cortisol, estrogen, thyroid, wherever. You have to start someplace. Uh, it's a good idea to get the data on all of them and then see what's happening and then break the cycle. Break the cycle by starting to get the cortisol, if it's elevated, down to normal. The estrogen, if it's elevated, balanced with progesterone and back down to normal and enhance your thyroid function so that your liver's ability to methylate these hormones, particularly estrogen, is increased, and you don't have your estrogen aggravating your candida. It's a common profile that we've seen, that candida patients will tend to have elevated cortisol. Very typically, the candida patient has elevated cortisol in the, in the nighttime, as I described earlier. And the typical candida patient, their cortisol is low in the morning and low during the day, which is part of their exhaustion. And then the cortisol starts to elevate at night, which aggravates their candida and then becomes part of their insomnia or their lack of getting good um, reparative sleep. This naturally worsens the condition. The elevations in cortisol that occur tend to suppress their thyroid function. So you'll see them typically having symptoms of low thyroid. You'll easily see that they'll be poor methylators because of the cortisol thyroid imbalance. And you'll see typically that they're they tend to be estrogen dominant. Progesterone teams up with thyroid hormones, and you'll find that they're synergistic together. Um, there's an article on my website about progesterone working with thyroid hormones and how it, they seem to enhance each other. And this is true. This is very interesting. Now, when you, as you're getting all this information, you start to see how you can pair these different hormones, who's working together, who starts to work against each other, and how it all flows. As I said earlier, progesterone is there to balance estrogen. Progesterone is certainly in more of the same category or class with estrogen rather than thyroid hormones. 
yet progesterone and thyroid hormones are synergistic together and work well together to accomplish certain of the same balances in the body. That cannot be said of estrogen and thyroid. An interesting thing we've observed for years is that in order for thyroid hormones to work in the, in the body, for the tissues and cells of the body to accept thyroid hormone and allow it to work and do its job, there has to be a particular ratio of calcium to potassium and zinc to copper. <coughs> many nutritionists know about this for many years. We've seen that progesterone actually has the ability to raise tissue potassium, which is the very thing that you need in order for thyroid hormones to work. Because in order for the thyroid hormone to work in your cells and for your cells and tissues to be sensitive to the actions of thyroid hormone, they have to have a certain balance of potassium. If they have this potassium, then they will affect change or affect the chemical processes in your cells that they're supposed to do. So this is an, an interesting coincidence that progesterone can raise tissue potassium and thyroid hormones are dependent on that action. That's one of the reasons why they're synergistic together. But there are, there are others that go beyond that. But I invite you to read the article on my website about thyroid and progesterone. Well, we've taken our major hormones here and looked at them all. There are other hormones which have apparently no real visible effect on candida. Uh, one of them would be HCG. One of them is HGH. None of these hormones have been shown to have any predictable effect on candida. It's the main hormones, the cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, and testosterone, which are the ones that have the effect on candida. Adrenaline doesn't particularly have an effect on candida because in most cases when adrenaline is produced, it's produced for a short enough time where it really wouldn't produce any long-range change in candida levels. So there's not much to speak about as far as they go. As far as FSH and LH, luteinizing hormone, there has not been any report or any, any, any paper that I've ever seen which mentions that these hormones have any real effect on candida. Which, which does make sense to me because they're uh, LH, FSH, TSH, um, sex binding hormones. All of these hormones don't really affect cells in the same way that the reproductive hormones do. So it would make sense that they wouldn't have an effect on candida. The true hormones that will affect candida from the adrenal glands would be exclusively cortisol then from the reproductive side, you would have estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, and testosterone. And the other hormone that, I, that has an effect would be thyroid hormone. Not in the same manner as the other hormones that we just mentioned, which are more the reproductive and androgen hormones. Uh, 
But thyroid hormone does have an effect on candida because thyroid hormone helps your body detoxify the other hormones. And another interesting point is of body temperature. Thyroid hormone is important to maintain an adequate body temperature, and it's definitely been seen in the literature. If you search for this and look this up, that you'll find people with inadequate body temperatures um, don't really get rid of candida as easily as others. So this, this would mean that if you're chronically cold, the temperature of your body isn't correct to allow certain enzyme systems to work, which could be involved in, in uh, addressing candida. A very interesting question, because people will wonder why does my body temperature have to be at a certain level? You know, what's the big deal? So if it's low, that's normal for me, and that's fine. And what difference does it make? Well, the reason why body temperature is an issue in the first place is because your temperature is a measurement of how well your thyroid gland and other hormones in your body that work with the thyroid are converting the food you eat into heat and energy, which is their primary purpose. But we also know that certain enzyme functions in the body don't work when the temperature is too low. So therefore, if those enzyme functions don't work when, you're too, when your temperature is too low, it's going to uh, affect your body's ability to maintain a normal intestinal flora, which means to maintain the minimal growth of candida that's there. That subject could be an entire podcast on itself. I just want to include it in today uh, because it's, it's, uh, it does enter into the category of why thyroid hormones would be important in eliminating candida and the fact that thyroid hormones are involved in candida. Well, I hope this has been interesting for everyone. This is certainly not meant to be a full understanding of all the interreactions between hormones and candida. This You could think of this as being hormone and candida 101. And we certainly will follow this up with more information in the future. So again, this is Michael Biamonte for the Candida Chronicles, wishing everyone a happy holiday, and we will visit with you again next time. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists, and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.